This morning's sermon title is called Jesus Said What? So over the, the years and even in uh, just a couple weeks past, I've had some great conversations with some different people and one, one friend, we're sitting around and, and he said, hey, what does born again mean? All my fellow brothers and sisters, they keep using this word born again. You know, I'm, I'm born again this, I'm born again that, and you got to be born again, and this person's born again that. What does it mean? <laughs> and there's other things as well. You know, I've talked to different people, and there's, or maybe they said, you know, I've heard different Christians using different terminologies, or I've, I've read my Bible, and I was reading, and Jesus said this one thing, and I'm like, what? Why would he say that? that just, he was doing so well, and then he says this, and it just sounds crazy. Why would he say that? Kind of the same response to the disciples and many of the people that Jesus was addressing. We, we see some of the, the weird things that Jesus said. We're going to be looking this week and, and next week, and depending on what else happens, maybe the, the following week, at some of the nutty or the weird, seemingly weird things that Jesus said. And how, what do they mean and how do they apply to us? Some of these passages for some of us here are, are maybe new. Maybe we've, you know, we're new and we haven't really read our Bible a lot. Maybe we haven't really read that yet. For some of us, it's maybe something we had since we were in Sunday school 100 years ago, Charlie. <laughs> but the amazing thing about God's Word is no matter how many times we've read something, no matter how well we think we know it, that the Holy Spirit is working and, and brings um, the word alive within us, and there's always something that God wants us to teach, or at least to help us to better understand and explain to others. We just have to be open and listening. So the first passage we're going to look at is in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're getting perhaps what is a first-hand witness from the disciple of John, John the Beloved as he's referred to in the Gospels. In John chapter 3, in the first part here, we're going to see a dialogue between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, he was a, a Pharisee. That was a, a sect of the Jewish faith. They were, they were really, really good at keeping all of the laws that Moses had given. In fact, they were so good at it that they were a little prideful at how good they were at it. And they even were great at coming up with new laws and new regulations to even keep themselves from getting close to breaking the ones that God had given them. And so they had a great system that was even, they had instituted themselves. And not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, he was also, this guy was pretty important. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish court. It was their high court. It's where Jesus went and stood in front of. So he's a member of this. Now, John's gospel is the only one where Nicodemus is referenced. But he's referenced three times in the book of John and in chapter 3, which we're going to be reading, but also chapter 7 speaks of Jesus and when he is sent to that court, and they're questioning him, and, and this man named Nicodemus stands up, and you can kind of get the, the sense that he's secretly following, secretly believing Jesus, and he kind of, he's the only person that ever, you know, gives a little bit of a, a defense for Jesus. And then in chapter 19, it is he who helps Joseph of Arimathea in, in preparing the tomb for Jesus. So we're going to be starting in John chapter 3, verse 1. And we'll be reading through at first to uh, verse 9. Now there was a Pharisee, 
a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, it was a prominent title, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, when he says very truly, it was trying to translate a thing that says, what I'm about to say is legit, it's for real, it's true, you can, you can go to the bank with this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Kind of had that, what? moment. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. Saying, listen up, this is the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. So Nicodemus, he, he shows up at nighttime alone. Nicodemus himself was a rabbi. He was a, a, very, he was a very highly trained religious leader. He was highly educated. And so we can assume probably in him coming to Jesus and seeking that he was the truth was important to him. It's probably the reason why Jesus, before he statement, said, this is the truth. Basically, Jesus saying, if you're here to seek the truth, I am the truth. I have the truth. And so he, he valued God's word. He valued the scriptures. He valued God's truth. And so he was seeing what Jesus had done. He saw the miracles, and he knew from the word of God that these miracles are only done by the hand of God. And so for Jesus to be performing these miracles, God was with him. The hand of God was working through Jesus and his disciples. And so he saw that Jesus had a direct line with God. He didn't fully yet understand who Jesus was, but he saw that God was with him and he was seeking truth. He wanted to know what was God really meaning in his scriptures. What was God really wanting? What was it really going to take to be with God, to enter into what God was calling his people to? First, it was John the Baptist who came on the scene, and he was giving witness to the coming of Jesus, and he was talking about the kingdom of God. I'm sure Nicodemus had heard these teachings and was watching them. The kingdom of God meaning the rule or authority of God. John the Baptist was preaching that the kingdom of God, the rule, the authority of God was coming. This is what he had been waiting for, for God to come and to, to take over the world, to take over uh, the Roman Empire, to overthrow it and to overthrow the sin and the, the, the problems of this world and to bring justice in an unjust world. He had been studying and trying to understand when and how God was going to bring this promise 
how God was going to restore the world, how God was going to restore creation that mankind had broken. When would God say enough is enough and send the anointed one who he had seen was promised? Keep in mind that many believed, even the Pharisees believed that the kingdom of God was coming. That God was going to reclaim humanity, reclaim creation. And the Pharisees believed that a Messiah, a Savior was coming at some point. But for many, the image of who and what the Messiah and the kingdom of God would look like was different from what Christ was teaching and how he was teaching it. A simple and fiery man preaching in the wilderness who baptized people as a symbol of their repentance and turning towards God was not the kind of introduction they were looking for. There wasn't this great army. There wasn't this wealthy, prestigious group coming up and saying, this is our king. But Nicodemus saw the miracles of Jesus. He He knew he was sent from God. And where others shrugged off Christ's power, Holy Spirit was speaking. There was a part of him that knew that Jesus held the key to getting into and being a part of God's plan, being part of God's kingdom, being under God's rule, his protection, and his blessing. He knew that the alternative of being outside of God's kingdom meant that he would be in opposition to God. This man had spent his whole life trying to be right, trying to do what was right, trying to make sure he did everything perfect so he could be with God, that he could be in God's presence. And he knew that the alternative to being in God's presence meant that he would be in opposition to God, meant that he would be in opposition to the works and the restoration of God That he would be an enemy of God and a person under the wrath and judgment of God. He was not going to ignore the miracles of Jesus. He was not going to ignore the signs of the hand of God moving. So he goes at night. Some speculate that perhaps it was because, you know, of his position. He didn't want people to see him. Others, I kind of like this thought too, is being that he was a man of great studying, and the Pharisees were known to stay up into the long hours of the night. He wanted to go. He wanted personal time alone with Jesus. To spend time, kind of like that the song, uh, Beer with Jesus, talks about sitting in the corner, not looking at the clock, and spending as much time as possible with Jesus if he had that opportunity. Nicodemus had this opportunity to go and to sit with Jesus and to spend as much time as possible. So perhaps this is another reason he went at night. So he tells Jesus, look, I've been around the block a few times. I've seen what you've done. You know, I've studied the scriptures. You're clearly sent by God to teach us. And there was a power and authority exercised by Jesus that cannot be faked. Only someone who is a part of God's kingdom has such power and authority. Just a little side blip, just a little side note in this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. 
the same power that Jesus walked in, this same power that drew Nicodemus to him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Just a little side note to keep in mind. So Nicodemus comes to him. He addresses him as rabbi. He says, teacher. Jesus obviously hadn't gone through all the formal schools that Nicodemus had gone through, but he recognizes him as a teacher. And he even compliments him, so to speak. You know, I've seen what you've been doing. And I love Jesus' response. He doesn't start bragging or, or listing his credentials. He doesn't pull out his, his Jesus business card and say, hey, here's a list of my miracles that I've done. You know, you can, you can see me perform a few on YouTube if you want. He didn't say, hey, did you see yesterday's miracle? That was a good one. He knows the heart of Nicodemus, and he just starts teaching. Jesus replied, very truly, back to verse 3, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? So Nicodemus comes to him and says, what's, what's the key? How do I get to where you are? How do we get to be with God? What is God's plan? Obviously, you've got a connection. What is coming? What is about to happen? And Jesus tells him, no one can see what's going to happen. No one can understand what is going to happen. No one can be a part of what is going to happen unless they are born again. From way out of left field, Jesus says this. Nicodemus is taken back. I think Jesus liked to grab people. Heavenly Father spoke and gave Jesus the words, and he said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is probably like us. He has had a lot of questions, and sometimes we have a lot of questions, and we go to God and we say, God, give us all the answers. We want it right now. I've come late, there's no one else around, explain everything to me, every question I have. And oftentimes God answers us with an answer, but an answer that leaves more questions. (laughs) Keeps us coming back, keeps us relying on him. Nicodemus says, how is this possible? Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Surely you cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I mean, this is just ridiculous. He wasn't a doctor, but he knew this was not possible. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, or this is it, the truth. Don't miss it. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. This word that's used in the Greek there that we translate into spirit, it also has a secondary meaning, which can mean from above. Some scholars say that it just means by the Spirit. Some say, well, it means from above, from God. It's got both. Jesus liked to wrap multiple layers into his message. And then some people read this and get confused and assume that Jesus is talking about water baptism. 
enter the kingdom unless they are born of water and spirit. It's such a powerful, wonderful verse that we need to understand it. Some scholars hold the view that it's, it's water baptism, but most um, based on the, the dialogue and the speaking style and the context of the rest of this verse that Jesus is referring into this part to the physical birth process. He's basically saying that someone must first exist. It's something that Nicodemus already understood. Someone must first exist, and if you exist, you are eligible to be part of God's kingdom. Jesus was saying, if you are a human, if it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from. He didn't say, if you are born of a Jewish woman. He didn't say, if you are born into a certain social class. He's saying, if you are born of water. And we also have, this gets a little deeper, a beautiful imagery of the creation of the earth and God's presence hovering over the waters and the firmament. So you have this image of creation. God's saying, if you are a part of my creation, if you are born, if you are in existence, you are eligible. You have the potential to be a part of my kingdom, to be a part of God's plan. But there's a second qualifier that he gives here. And this second one, it all hinges. But there's a second one, a second birthing must take place. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Physical creation, God set in motion, can bring forth life. Other physical creatures and beings can, can birth and create new life. Some of us here have done a lot of that. We have big families. But only the Holy Spirit can bring forth and birth spiritual life. There are many things that we as God's creation that we can do. There are many aspects of nature that we can control, we can change, and we can manipulate. And modern science is growing all the time. And there are many aspects of our own personalities and behaviors, things that we can do and to help change our behavior somewhat. We can use to develop, but the condition of a person's spirit, the full essence of who we are, that that can only be changed, that that can only be brought to true life out of death and darkness by God through his spirit. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that all the physical religious things that you do, all the great wonderful things that you think you do, they can't give you life. Only a second birth, a birthing of one's spirit into new life, a life of love, hope, peace, power. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So you shouldn't be surprised, Nicodemus. You know the laws. You know the law of Moses. You know the words that I've written. You know the words of the prophets. So you know what God desires. You should know what God desires. You should know that mankind falls short of this every single time. You should know that hope does not lie in an earthly kingdom or man-made structures and laws because it fails every time it's in God's word. That the only way you can be a part of God's kingdom, of his plan, is by his power, by his spirit. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What is Jesus saying here? 
We know the wind. It, it can't be seen. But we see its effects and we feel it acting upon us. The other night, I was, uh, Friday night, I was leaving from Emmanuel's conference in Milwaukee and I'm driving and I'm looking at the trees and I wasn't seeing anything because the car kept doing this and this. I could feel the effects of the wind and eventually I saw some trees and leaves blowing and I realized, okay, I don't have to stop and go fix something. Or most likely stop and call John. We may not be able to see the Holy Spirit, but we will be able to feel and we see his effects. There is real evidence. There is real signs of spiritual birth in life when people come to Christ, when the Holy Spirit moves within them and they are born again. Some of us here have experienced the Holy Spirit breathing life into us. We felt that, that change. We felt that, that turn and that full repentance, that full turning to God away from the desires of our old life, the old selfish desires completely broken, only hungering and desiring to know God, to experience His love and to share it with those around us. Experiencing that, that sense of having walked through a life outside of Christ where we feel like we're drowning and struggling for air. And at the moment we surrender to Christ and we accept Him as our Lord and our Savior, we, we gasp and we breathe in the Spirit of God. And He fills us. And He brings us to life and He begins to transform us and to change us. Never to be the same again. Verse 9, Nicodemus, how can this be? Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? You've read and studied the scriptures from beginning to end. It reveals the truth. God is the creator of life. It was God's spirit that moved and brought order and form to the universe. It was God's spirit that breathed, moved, and set life into motion that created man and woman as a reflection of himself. It was the presence of God that gave them the life. It was when they chose to reject God's authority that they stepped out of this into death. And it was God's spirit that led and provided for the Israelites that gave them hope, freedom, and life. And each time they tried to, to live and they tried to walk apart from God, tried to do things in their own abilities and in their own strengths, when they tried to do things in their own way that they stepped out of the kingdom of God and they stepped into opposition to God. They stepped into judgment, death, and destruction, back into slavery. should know, Nicodemus, that only God, through the work of his spirit, can restore, can save, and give life. Verse 11, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony talking to Nicodemus as a representative of the Pharisees, a part of the people that we're seeing. They should understand they had access to God's word. We've been telling and revealing this everywhere we go, but people don't accept what we are saying. Verse 12, I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus kind of saying, I could explain everything to you. I could give you all the secrets, but the fact that you won't even believe the simple things 
of this world that I'm telling you? Why are you going to believe all the others? Why are you going to believe the, the mysteries and the, the, the purposes and the spiritual things of God? You're saying you've heard my teachings on how to live holy, how to love unconditionally, how to treat one another as you would want to be treated yourself, how to turn away from selfish living and to live for God and to live for others, to turn away from pride, to turn away from looking down on others as if they are beyond God's love and reach. He's saying if you can't even grasp these things, how are you going to grasp the kingdom of God? If you can't believe and follow these things, how will you believe me when I tell you that God is looking at your hearts and that your thoughts and attitudes towards others and Him are just as important as what you say and do? Or when I tell you to stop living and pretending as though you can be God of your own life and as long as you do more good than evil or as long as you look and act holier than everyone else, you will somehow merit entrance into the kingdom of God. Every human is born into physical life. Every one of us is born with the opportunity to know God, to be a part of His work. But sadly, many are born into the traditions of the church. Let me rephrase that. It sounded horrible the way I said that. But like Nicodemus and the Pharisees, sadly, many times people are only born into a physical life. They may have been born into the traditions of the church. They've read and perhaps memorized parts or all of the Bible. Perhaps they've seen miracles and believe that Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again. But like Nicodemus up to the point in which we see his dialogue with Christ. Like him, having read the scriptures, even able to teach it, but many, unfortunately, never fully understand what God wants to do for them. What he has already done for them. The life that he desires to breathe into them. Many people... They have a form of godliness, but they are still dead. We are born into physical life, but spiritually we are all stillborn. Spiritually we are all born with the same meaninglessness, the same destination of death. We saw that in Ecclesiastes, the 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 great wise one speaking and saying, life is meaningless outside of God. Why even be born? There's no hope, there's no purpose, there's no meaning to it if we're all going to die and there be nothing. But Jesus brings life. He brings that purpose. Many think and they are still trying to achieve God's grace through their own merit and their own outward man-made forms of holiness. Not realizing it is when we truly accept Christ for who He is and what He has done for us, it is only when we humble ourselves and recognize and submit to Christ's authority and recognize that it is only because of His death and punishment on the cross in our place that we can be saved from the judgment of our sins. 
It is then at that moment that the very spirit and presence of God begins to fill and to dwell within us, gives us new life, and we begin a beautiful process and journey of growth and maturing. And there are many people who have grown up outside. Unlike Nicodemus, many people like the the Romans that uh, later Paul would preach to and the apostles would go out and they would speak to. They didn't have the, the old teachings. They didn't quite understand everything yet. But they saw the power of God working through his church. And as they shared God's story with them, the Holy Spirit spoke. And a lot of times we think, well, my life is so messed up. You know, at least Nicodemus, at least he knew what was right and he could hear it and he could follow it. Some say, I was... I wasn't even like Nicodemus. I was against God. I was going against him as hard as I could. Is there any way God can really give me life? Is there any way God can really give my, my brother or my sister or my, my parents life? If it was in our own workings, if it was in our own abilities, no. But that same power that raised Christ from the dead, that same power that Jesus used and performed miracles with, that brought healing and brought raised people physically to life and spiritually as well, it is the Spirit of God that is still working, that is still at work in His church and is at work within us. And if we simply submit ourselves and our lives to Him, if we simply let go of the reins of our own life, let go of control of our own life and say, you know what, I can't do this. I don't have the power to change. I don't have the power to resurrect myself spiritually to life. I don't have the power to break through the barriers of my life that are trying to keep me out of the kingdom of God. But it's not my work. It's the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to stop trying and stop put down my own little sledgehammers that I keep chipping away and trying to break down these walls with, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit move, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit break down those walls for me. I'm just going to stand up, and I'm going to raise my hand to God and say, God, I believe you. I trust you. You died on the cross for my sins. You've already broken those walls down. And just give ourselves to him and allow his spirit to fill us, allow him to breathe new life into us kind of life that brings growth and change that will perplex those who knew the old dead us. The kind of life, growth and change that will shine brightly in the darkness of this world that will allow us to walk now and on into eternity within the kingdom and presence of God who is the giver and the sustainer of life. So a a thought we're going to leave with, we'll kind of pick up this a little bit later and beautiful thing and the kind of the, I think one of the reasons Jesus uses this analogy of being born again is there is this new sense of life. There is real, tangible presence of God in our lives and within us when we give our lives to him and it changes us. But in the birthing process, what happens? It is messy and you get a baby Do babies understand everything right away? No. Do babies have to grow? Do babies have to be fed? Do babies have to go through different stages? Yes. 
And so it's something we're going to look at later about growing and maturing in Christ and, and allowing ourselves to be, be fed. And it's not this moment where, boom, you're birthed, and there you are. You've done it. You've arrived. You've got that life. But that life has to be nurtured. That life has to be sustained. And the sustainer of life is our Heavenly Father. It's the Holy Spirit, and we have to walk with Him. We have to be fed. We have to feed that life through God's Word. We come together. We're a, like a nursery here. A, the body of Christ is like a nursery of infants. Sometimes we think ourselves spiritual giants. The reality is we're a nursery, and we're taking care of one another. How many have ever worked in the nursery here? A few? It's a huge, huge blessing to those children when you change their diapers. My little two-year-old, she comes to me and goes, you know, clean me up, please. Until she learns how to clean herself and to use the pot pot. I can't judge her and say, oh, look at you. You're just, oh, it is frustrating. Don't get me wrong. It can be frustrating. Our spiritual lives can be messy and it can be frustrating with one another even. But to realize we've all been birthed into new life. And in part of that is we're all called to help nurture one another. We're all called to, to help one another grow and mature. And as we do that, that power that was within Christ is within us. And before we realize it, the world and the people around us are being birthed to life as well. Let's pray.